This is a special presentation of a discussion between Elias Cepeda and Alana McLaughlin for We Aim for Self-Defense, where they're reading Vladimir Lenin's Concerning a Proletarian Militia. You can find more information for Elias, Alana, and We Aim for Self-Defense on the show notes. Enjoy. Everyone, welcome. We are doing our first, it's a big, big deal, right? <laughs> our first episode of our new project here, We Aim for Self-Defense. I'm Elias. Uh, I am really excited to be joined uh, by uh, my friend, Alana McLaughlin. Alana, thanks for jumping on. Hey, hi, hello. I am also here. <laughs> so we, Alana and I, just as of like last night and this morning and two seconds ago, uh, for the first time, I believe for both of us, we're jumping into a text, um, a, uh, let Lenin letters from afar, third letter, uh, from Vladimir Lenin concerning a proletarian militia. We are talking about self-defense very broadly to like not get taken down from Patreon and YouTube, but also more specifically within, within a certain set of, of, um, of, of pol- political inclinations and also more narrowly too with an interest in in learning about sharing about like uh, um, self-defense within the context of utilizing or understanding uh, firearms uh, as well so um, when when I was looking around for my own personal reading this week seeing this uh, proletarian militia from Lenin something I hadn't read from Lenin um, it's we were trying to figure this out and I'm ashamed that I that I don't know it off the top of the head but this was written in spring of, I think, 2016. 1917. Oh, yeah, 2016. What the hell am I saying? Yeah, 1917. Thank you. Which is, our, our listeners, our viewers will be able to, like, correct me even faster than Google can. But, like, that's, that's a few months before, a few months after um, the Russian Revolution phase one kicks off, I guess. Uh, the, phase, uh, he specifically say, mentions the October Revolution. Okay, there we go. Right. So it's, it's after that. Uh, it's during World War One, so that is a bit of the context we're we're um, we're, we're we're looking at here. Um, and so, Alana and I have been reading offline, chatting a little bit about it. And I'm I'm no no uh, no Lenin scholar, uh, but I, I definitely wanted to talk with a friend uh, who's also doing a first reading of this, and just kind of like talk about some parts that um, brought up some questions, uh, sparked some some thinking in us. And encourage you all to read this as well. This is something that you can find for free. You can go to places. I'm reading off of marxists.org, M-A-R-X-I-S-T-S.org. But you can find it um, in other free resources. Uh, This is a third letter concerning a proletarian militia from Letters from Afar, uh, from Vladimir um, uh, Lenin. Uh, This is a tumultuous time, just a little bit over a century ago uh world wars happening revolutions happening counter revolutions uh happening or about to happen and um people are interested in throwing off their chains and figuring out how to do it if they find a little bit of success how to main in 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 taking away the existing power structure how to maintain their own presumably more powerful one and Hey, reality is reality. People are not doing it just with kung fu or jujitsu fighting. They needed to use uh, some weapons. So, 
Uh, Lennon is talking about this here. I'm going to jump in. We're just going to kind of freeform it. Anything catches our eye or has caught our eye, we're going to discuss with one another. We'll put a little a little 30-minute clock on for ourselves. Anything else that comes out of it, we'll throw into some bonus content for the uh, for the patrons as well. I do want to say I already misspoke. It was the, uh, he's mentioned right here, uh, the first stage of the revolution in February to March of 1917. So it was not October, February. To okay. March. Thank you, Alana. Appreciate <laughs> it. So let's see. I am. There was right, a specific so going... quote I saw earlier that I really oh. to put up as a tweet, except it was too long for one tweet and I didn't do it. Now I got to find it. Find it. I have one, a little thing by uh, way of introduction I want to read. But yeah, then we'll go over that. Um, so I'm going through, we've got, depending on how we're reading, the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Uh, twelve paragraph, and what I'm reading from Marxist.org. Hence the conclusion. So there's preamble, this contextual preamble that uh, Lennon is discussing. Hence the conclusion we cannot overthrow the new government. At one stroke, or if we can, in, in parentheses, he writes, in revolutionary times, the limits of what is possible expand a thousandfold, right? So if we can, he's not, he's saying we can't overthrow the government at, at, at one stroke, but maybe we can, because who knows what's possible under revolution. We will not be able to maintain power. Again, getting power and then maintaining it. Different things, whether you're reading back during, you know, a few centuries before with, with with Machiavelli, um, of like the difference, you know, power, which is easily come by is hard to hold on to power, which you fight hard for. You can hold on to whatever, like there's a difference. There's a difference between getting power and holding on to power. Uh, Lennon writes, we will not be able to maintain power unless we counter the magnificent organization of the entire Russian bourgeoisie and the entire bourgeois intelligentsia with an equally magnificent organization of the proletariat, which must lead the entire vast mass of urban and rural poor, a semi-proletariat and small proprietors. So big picture, he's saying, listen, if we want to mean, you know, we, we might have, we might have some progress, some, some, uh, some momentum on the way, but even if we get power, we can't, even if we won't be able to get, unless we realize that we're facing, we're up against magnificent entrenched, um, power, um, Power structures. Power structures, yeah. And we need to we need to uh, create our own uh, similarly magnificently organized uh, uh, power structures, right? And then within that context, he's going to talk about, I think, his need, the need that he calls for for um, for uh, for a militia. And in this uh, in this particular piece, he's talking very specifically about his differences with anarchists, and that's his, right. His his feeling of the need for a revolutionary government. Uh, and again, this this is the kind of thing where, you know, while my politics aren't 100 percent nailed down, I agree with them that, you know, when you're up against like one of the largest military empires in history, you need a certain level of organization. And then whether or not you're calling it a government sort of becomes a, a point of. Uh, I don't know what's, what's the word I'm looking for. It, it, it's like a formality or, or like yeah, a, a yeah, matter of semantics. Yeah, semantics. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> I guess I got punched in the head too many times, losing my vocabulary. No, no, I hear you. I think that's right. Yeah, <laughs> there's the, the part here. We need revolutionary governments, italicized. We need, in parentheses, for a certain transitional period. This is important within, like, a state. broadly, right? Yeah, yeah, a state. We need, he says, 
a state. And he goes on, like Alana says, this is what distinguishes us from the anarchist. This may seem like uh, in, in, in modern context, depending on where you're coming from, uh, this may seem like a uh, discussion about like fringe groups. In this context, it is not. There are anarchists, mm-hmm. there are Marxists, there are, you know, bleeding in the two. There's a lot of uh, 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 groups that are that are doing a lot of work and, and they all they're battling. They're working together. They're trying to distinguish themselves from one another. Like these are these are this is not a small in this context. This is not a small like distinction to make. This is an important one because there's a lot of similarities. So we need a revolutionary government. We need for a certain transitional period, Lenin writes, a state. This is what distinguishes us from the anarchist. The difference between the revolutionary Marxists, which he's con- including himself, and then, of course, and the anarchists is not only that the former, the Marxists, stand uh, for centralized, large-scale communist production, while the latter, the anarchists, stand for a disconnected small production. Talking about economy here. The difference between us precisely on the question of government, of the state, is what we are for, and the anarchists against so he's framing this as a positive versus a positivist versus like a, 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 a like a politics of negation between Marxists and anarchists, um, utilizing revolutionary forms of the state in a revolutionary way for the struggle of socialism. This is important, right? Like this is an important um, argument. I, like Alana, have not like nailed down my politics and like siloed it into one you know group. I, I don't know that I have any desire to. Uh, uh, either I'd rather be, you know, uh, um, I'd rather take a like a a true jujitsu or a true Jeet Kune Do philosophy and just like use what works in reality and, and you know abandon the rest and based on my own judgment uh, as opposed to being doctrinaire or or or, or, or real like uh, I don't know I guess uh, parochial and stuff about it but um, but this is important to think about what he's what he's what he's saying he's talking about revolution trying to overthrow a state and already he's looking towards creating a new state just for a little bit, like just, just for a little state for a little bit, for a little while. Um, and he's talking about that, that government in the, the future that he's hoping for still being a revolutionary government. To me, that's interesting. And I know that's basic, but to me, the idea of a revolution existing in the form of like a state and a government that is now taking power that's that's interesting to me. I don't know. I'm and, never, and see, th- this no, is where he this is where he uh, he makes a very it, he makes a very succinct point and talks specifically about not just reproducing the same systems of policing, but also says that you still have to like sort of over- overtake them, like absorb them. Um, yes. Yes. So and and I guess this this is where I do have some critique because I'm not sure about the specifics of how to do that, you know. Um and then Great. let's see where where is the uh, I've I've jumped around too much. No, there, I started I, I right below that. I don't know. I think this is probably what you're starting to lead up to. We need a state but not the kind the bourgeois needs. Yes, not the kind that bourgeois has created everywhere from constitutional monarchies to the most democratic republics. And in this, we differ from the opportunists and the Kautskyites of the old and decaying socialist parties who have distorted or have forgotten the lessons of the Paris Commune and the analysis of these lessons made by Marx and Engels. Uh, let's see, we need a state, but not the, the kind the bourgeois needs with organs of government in the shape of a police force, an army and a bureaucracy separate from and opposed to the people. All bourgeois revolutions merely perfected this state machine 
merely transferred it from the hands of one one party to those of another. And see, this is where historically looking back on this, looking back on the Soviet Union, looking back on attempts at socialist states, we can see where that has had a tendency to happen. But you also can't divorce that from the historical context of every attempt at a socialist state has been immediately been under attack by every capitalist power in the world. That's right. Yeah, no, that context, that context is, is, is super important. Whether or not we use it to like be apologists for particular abuses or not is, <clears throat> is up to us or, or, or even agree that certain abuses exist, but that, that context is undeniable for sure. And I, I, by the way, you, you said too, Alana, you were like, you know, this is maybe the space for critique because you're not sure how the text points to how we can differentiate. And that was my main thing too. So I want to dig into that. Um, I, I don't know that the text really lays uh, uh, lays that out. And this probably, I don't know how, how, how uh, Marx and Engels really lay out how, how, a, how a, um, how a government can be just temporary either ever in any other stuff that I've read. So anyway, but it says, so um, what kind of militia do we need? The proletariat, all the toiling people, he asks, a genuine people's militia, one that first consists of the entire population of all adult citizens of both sexes, and second, one that combines the functions of a people's army with police functions, with the functions of the chief and fundamental organ of public order and public administration. So I think this is interesting. I like, okay, so he's maybe starting to answer it. He's like, all right, maybe... The military and the police being its own distinct class is part of the problem, uh, like a little petty bourgeois class in service of of capital. We need everyone to make up um, the military and uh, and the police. And I do want to get later. I want to get your take because I have some questions about the distinction between like army and militia. And I think that's kind yeah, of important. that's that's, I, that's, that's where my critique comes in is I was jumping ahead. Mm. Making some assumptions that I feel like don't necessarily bear out historically. Example, the militia would be a proletarian militia for the industrial and urban workers would exert a guiding influence on the masses of the poor as naturally and inevitably as they came to hold. I'm assuming that's supposed to be hold, hold the leading place in the people's revolutionary struggle, both in 1905 to 07 and in 1917. Such a militia would ensure absolute order and devotedly observe comradely discipline. See, this is yeah. this is without the context of since World War II. Uh, you know, we've we've spent damn near you know over half a century, like three quarters of a century, being propagandized against anything resembling socialism and counting on the masses to just naturally fall into this into this role is yeah. uh, questionable. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always wary of, of of things that are supposed to be naturalized, right? We're supposed mm-hmm. to, <laughs> whether it's gender, sex, race, or oh, like God. people's will, right? Like inevitable and natural is a cop out rhetorically for me. Yes. That shows that you don't you don't have historical precedent, or you don't have like a, a, a theory about how the future will, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, can uh, uh, you know unfold based on certain forces. Naturally, inevitably, there's nothing natural, inevitable, anything. Lenin himself is surprised that this even starts to happen. In Russia, he didn't think it was going to happen. He was surprised when he gets mm-hmm. a call back to come back. You know, like come back in out of exile. Like, there's nothing national inevitable about this. It might be a good. It might be good propaganda to like make people feel like, hey, we, we can succeed, and maybe that's a nice, like, a, a useful and maybe even morally good uh, wartime type of thing. But it's not helpful in actually creating specific differences in the way things operate. And then. 
the rhetoric is seems like what if if we don't know how it's going to happen, I get a little bit nervous when I start reading um, the next paragraph over, um, which you read. Such a militia would ensure absolute order and devotely observe commonly discipline. Well, first of all, that's eerie as fuck. I don't like that. Mm. It sounds a lot like what the existing power structure yeah. was doing. Now, it just sounds like we're talking about, like, let's get our people, they, their people out, our people in. It's, it's, what, and, is and he's using... what is different about the structure here that's going to make it, he doesn't say it's going to be more democratic. In fact, he talks about order and not about justice. Right. And, and he's about- he's already so he's using these rhetorical tricks. And you, but back before this, he's already is it before or after he's already talking about how it's gone wrong presently in his time. That's their trick. That is how the landlord and capitalist government of the I can't pronounce this Guchkovs and Milikovs. I don't know. Again, I this is not my milieu here. <laughs> Me neither. People's militia on paper, while in reality. Is re- it is restoring gradually and on the quiet the bourgeois anti-people's militia. At first, it is to consist of 8,000 students and professors, as foreign newspapers describe the present St. Petersburg militia, an obvious plaything, and will gradually be built up of old and new police force. So, yeah, he, yeah. he, he okay. has this, this he's, he's speaking about these high-minded ideals of how, you know, the proletarian population is going to be this beautiful, perfect thing. These are already got ca- caveats in here of like oh yeah it's already not working in this place you know yeah i think you're right there's there is some there is some unresolved contradiction there i i think that's that's a really good that's a really good uh a highlight alana and you know to be fair to from what i was saying earlier is like he doesn't talk about democracy he does end up talking about it a little bit and maybe that's the difference <laughs> he talks about a universal labor service he's saying that we can combat the crisis in a really democratic way um um, dis- distribute grain and other supplies, introduce universal labor service, which the French now call civilian mobilization and the Germans call civilian service. Uh, so maybe he's saying again, he's like, let's, let's have, let's have, um, uh, I mean, he defines it narrowly, but for the time, perhaps really broadly and revolutionarily women and men. And it's just like, this is, that's all there is. Right. But like, he's, he's saying women also in military service and police service, which again, that's, that is definitely going to be, um, in a sense, in this context, sort of, you know, I'm sure uh, rare. And so maybe, I guess maybe what is, if I'm trying to be accurate or charitable, maybe he's saying, listen, if if we make this something that everyone is involved in, it will be more democratic and then maybe more just because everyone is a potential troop or soldier. Everyone is a potential police officer. I, I don't know. I I I hate I hate the idea that everyone is cops. It's a police officer. That scares me more than it assures me. But I think I know what yeah. he's trying to say. Maybe it's yeah. like it's not a distinct class beating down on workers. Workers <laughs> will 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 uh, will be part of this. Is is that was that your read at all that he's saying? Well, that is kind of my read, especially if you look at the part. He says the proletariat, on the other hand, if it wants to uphold the gains of the present re- revolution and proceed further to win peace, bread and freedom must smash, to use Marx's expression, this ready-made state machine and substitute a new one for it by merging the police force, the army, and the bureaucracy with the entire armed people. So it's like, unfortunately, this is, I I agree in that this is something that I feel like we need, like we need this level of organization and this level of, of power in people's hands, like people to be armed and be able to take care of themselves. However, I also have the historical context of looking back at the United States and the fact that we have more fucking guns than anybody 
And most of the people that I know that are working class and armed are total chuds who are, are bootlickers. It's like the, the propagandists and the capitalists have managed to um, give them the illusion of freedom by saying, okay, you can't have anything that you can't personally earn. We're going to let you have your guns and all, so you think you can rise up at any time, but we're also going to make your material conditions so abysmal that all you can focus on is your day-to-day struggle for survival. That's a really great point. And so, and I suspect it'll come up in many more of our conversations. Like I feel me personally, and everyone can speak for themselves. I feel like me personally as, as a, as someone who in some portions of my identity is, is a marginalized person by society and, and someone who's considers himself broadly speaking, a a leftist and a, you know, um, that I come to gun ownership. Um, with like tragic understandings, right? Not giddily, not, not, not excited. I look at it as like, um, a compromise I have to make with reality. Just like when I train, you know, jiu-jitsu or MMA or, you know, like, it's not that I don't in and of itself then enjoy, uh, doing these activities with teammates or comrades. Like I get enjoyment learning about, you know, uh, uh, cleaning a pistol or learning about, you know, trying to trying to practice bullseye shooting, just like I can get enjoyment out of working in an arm bar with it. Like we can make community and 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 enjoy ourselves with it. But fundamentally, train unarmed stuff um, because it, you know I started at least uh, at least you know when I was a child, my dad got me into it uh, because out of a recognition that this is a dangerous world and and uh, we need to be able to you know um, fight you know disproportionate concentrations of power either embodied in like in the superstructures or with like some individual bully with our own uh, uh, skill and awareness, which allow us to like fight asymmetrically for survival. And I feel like the same thing with, with guns. With that said, it's no panacea, right? Like I'm not going to like, you know, we, uh, as United, like Alana just, like you just said, could we have more guns in the United States? Probably not. But I yet yeah, that doesn't prevent the NSA from like listening to us on our phones and our and our and our televisions and like holding us without uh, uh, holding us in rendition or, or holding us in jails without uh, pressing charges or assassinating American citizens. Like it hasn't. Yeah, I, I feel it, like it hasn't made us free alone. Is it? Is it? Is it necessary? Probably. Is it sufficient alone? Probably not. I mean, I, I feel like in the United States, they have uh, they've continued to allow the proliferation of guns and other weapons in in the hands of common people because they are so confident that they will not be overthrown. Mm. And uh, it's like, is it like that? So vote? Is it like that thing? Like if, so if voting long. made a difference, they'd make it illegal. It's like if gun if gun ownership alone made a difference in the hands of white shuttery. Exactly. That, that's, that's the thing. Like when, when people have a political line, all of a sudden they don't have those fucking gun rights. Like it, right. when it comes to minority gun ownership, uh, look at what happened with the black, black Panthers. You know, nobody was interested in gun control until the Panthers were armed. Um, and then all of a sudden, well, gun control for thee, but not for me, you know, so right. you guns running around uh, you know, crossing state lines to commit murder with unregistered firearms. But, uh, you know, like a black man who's a registered concealed carry owner who tells the cops that he's armed gets shot. You know, it, it's, it's right. an application of the law. So, so yeah, I mean, there's the law on paper and then there's what actually happens. It's just like when I was in the army, the regulations said that 
you know, studies have shown that group punishment is ineffective and therefore we will not use it. And yet everyone knows in every branch of the military at every level, group punishment is all that's used. Always. You know, so so they have what's on paper and then they have what actually happens and they're never the same. That those are those are really illuminating examples. Thanks for uh, both personal and like broadly historical. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I, I I think I think yeah I think that's super important to. I think that's super important to understand. I I, I, I definitely yeah. I, I it's not a panacea. Certainly, it might be it might be necessary. And I wanted to ask you along the lines of like practical matters here. Difference. I'm just you know I. I I've just always been a, a civilian and a, and a novice and a layperson, certainly in this regard. But is what are some differences? I want to tease out either like in the grammatically or just historically or whatever. But like, it seems to me there's differences historically between what like um, militias and like people's militias and standing armies. And this is where I feel like this might be the 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 most the most like the most reasonable parts the most common sense parts in this context might lie in these differences so for example like would it even be possible in this context as far as you and i know it is not historians and not like scholars of this age or anything like that but as far as we can tell as far as we know a lot of would it even be possible for like these revolutionaries to like have a standing volunteer professional army at this point or is like Give everyone a gun, the only thing they can do. That's the problem is as soon as you start talking about having a militia, it's totally fine as long as your politics are absolute shit. You know, if you're a God-fearing American who wants to marry 16-year-olds and outlaw abortion and oppress trans people and kill black people, then your militia is fine. But the moment you're the Panthers, the moment you're uh, the moment you start talking about liberation from capitalism or whiteness you are not going to have a militia. You're going to get killed. Like the moment you start talking about standing up to these power structures, no, you cannot have a militia. You will die. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, I definitely don't have an appreciation for like the different um, ethnic groups or in, in, in Russia at this time, but I'm going to take a leap and say, this is by modern standards. <laughs> I don't know what they were then, but modern standards, it's a fairly, racially or ethnically like homogenous compared to america too so like this might not be right like yeah it's not it's not a consideration in the same way i mean i'm sure look well you know jewish people are racialized huge in this context obviously and like fucking you know shipped out murdered whatever like that's definitely there's definitely like races in here and stuff but i think compared to the united states is definitely not like they're not thinking about black 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 people Within the yeah, I mean, see, what what I think a lot of context that folks might be missing is that, um, you know, like w- w- when we think about World War II and we talk about Poland, most people, I would say, like from from just Western liberal education, Poland were just these victims of Nazis, right? The Nazis mm-hmm. invaded Poland and that's all there was to it. But if you actually look at historical context, um, hell, a good example there's a Netflix documentary about an artist named Shikulski, uh, who he was a Polish national. And, you know, part of his popularity in the U.S. was he, you know, he was this Polish artist who was displaced by the Nazis. But also what he doesn't tell you is that in his early days in Poland, he was part of an he was the head of an esoteric order 
that hated Jews and used swastikas in his art. And literally the difference between him and the German Nazis was that the Nazis invaded him first. You know, like it, it was literally like Polish nationalism, white Polish nationalism, the people. of Poland. So when it, when they talk about race in this context, back then, it was like the, the, the concept of race was very localized, very you know, specific to that nation. Whereas now we have this, this pan whiteness uh, that, that's sort of fallen into place. So that way, yeah. you know, every, every white racist in America that is severed from their actual cultural roots can just adopt this pan whiteness. So now every white guy's a Viking who is uh, reaching back for, his, you know, you, you, you see what I'm saying? Like they're, they're creating their own mythology yeah. Yeah. Uh, and using it as, as sort of, um, justification for oppressing these other groups mm-hmm. so easier when you know if you've got a russian and a ukrainian and a german and you put them all in the same room well you might not be able to tell who's who if they're not speaking uh but if you put all of them in a room with a black guy oh well that guy you know you know a black american and a white american in that same room well the white american is part of that pan white group and the black american is the outsider you know and and i feel like that that's that's the kind of context that maybe Marx and Lenin didn't have, or, or, you know, I, I, I say I'm probably being too generous there, you know, because there were struggles about race going back then, you know, like during the American revolution, there were British, uh, uh, fucking, sorry, I don't, I don't know. If oh, wait, we're, we're on the internet. Go yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah. There, there were British politicians during the American revolution saying that, you know, it's, it's awfully, uh, you know, awfully rich for these Americans to be talking about all men are created equal while they own other men, you know? So like this was acknowledged back then. There were people that said, you know, race is a thing. Racism is happening. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and yeah, and, and Marx certainly was aware of like, even like during, you know, the mid, mid 19th century of, of uh, of slavery and like that type mm-hmm. of super structural like beyond oppression of of black folks. So no, you're right. That's 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 a good point. We can't we can't assume that it was like of of another time where there was no awareness of 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 that. I think in this particular context of like this, you know. Uh, uh, but back to your original point, in like Russia. here in Russia, it's pretty safe to assume that these are all what we would currently call a bunch of white guys. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. I think. I think. Again, like I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure uh, there was plenty of anti-Semitism here. We know there was and stuff too, but like in not, not I'm saying not in Lenin, but like in in Russia, right? Mm. Uh, and and pl- plenty of like outgrouping of, of Jewish people and probably like gypsies and all, all but but exactly like people that now we would consider uh, uh, white or that the world. I mean, complete side white. note here: like people keep asking me my opinion on the the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And I'm, you know, like two bad things can be true. Like there yeah. are Nazis in Azov Battalion and yeah. is also super right wing. And they, I also have seen like Russian Nazis, like mm-hmm. two, two things can be bad. Two things can be true. You know, like I don't really, I don't have a dog in this fight because like I, I feel for the, the working class people in both countries that are dealing with the shit. Uh, I've seen anti-fascists on the ground fighting for Ukraine. Um, but also, I know that in my lifetime, I, if there were not a war right now, I would not be safe in either of those countries just to exist. Yeah. That's yeah. not stretching. That's not hyperbolic. That's just the truth. Like anywhere in Eastern Europe, if I go over there, I'm probably not fucking welcome. 
No, and I think that 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 is so important. This shit isn't team sports, right? We yeah. don't need to root for someone. But it's or, treated like that. Yeah, it is. It is. That's right. That's right. No, right. We can think of yeah, exactly. We should see the bad in all of it, or even the if Democrats or like, Republicans, they're both bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't need to root for either one. I don't need to. Yeah, and I, I will say this. I, I, I will. Yeah, exactly. We should. We can root for. We can root for um, um, certain like statuses to exist. I can root for. I'm rooting for ceasefire because mm-hmm. otherwise, I don't see how we avoid a world war. And talking about Ukraine and Russia, that's all I can. That's it. Like I don't. Do I have additional like sadnesses about you know uh, people in in like Donbass region for since like <laughs> that have been like persecuted by Ukrainian government and like after the United States waged what people will not uh, enough admit was was basically like um, a color revolution uh, a, a coup there uh, yeah will I be really am I really really feeling bad for uh, y- other Ukrainians and who maybe aren't ethnically Russian or all Europeans who are now suffering because we're their their politicians trying to do the U.S.'s bidding and playing games with their their energy security and of course I can do I feel bad for Russians who are being made to fight yeah I'll, absolutely but but that said uh, I care about nothing and it, me personally I care about nothing more than like avoiding what it seems like the United States is is uh, leading towards which is you know. Uh, a world war with a nuclear nuclear power. Uh, people people talk about being. This is I'm I'm going to get us back on track a second. I swear to close out because I'm going way off now. But like people it talk my about, fault. yeah, no, it. no, this is great. <laughs> people talk about uh, uh, like I've seen ridiculous um, reactionary takes from from you know liberals or whatever saying, "Well, we we you can win a nuclear war. We we've won one." No. The United States bombing a country that has no nuclear weapon is not winning a nuclear war. That's not yeah, a nuclear no. War. What 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 happened is we perpetrated the largest like terrorist act in history. That's we right. nuclear weapons on civilian population centers, knowing that they were civilian population centers, knowing that Japan already intended to surrender. That's right, and they and we did it as a show of force uh, against Soviet Union. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which we should, we should, uh, that would be a, a military history and strategy conversation we should have on its own. Like the end of that or two, I think that'd be, that'd be very interesting and, and, and uh, hopefully useful for people. But yeah, exactly. We've never, there's these, the scientists tell us what happens if two nuclear powers go to war. And that's, we have nuclear winter, best case scenario, right? Like not even thinking about hundreds of millions of people being immediately killed, just the world. We're not going to, we're going to like, I guarantee like, you there is some capitalist ghoul somewhere going, well, nuclear winter will help us solve our climate change problem and we won't have to stop using gas. Well, there are people that have, I've seen, that's right. I've seen, I, I've seen, I swear I've seen things out there where they're saying like, we need to like tactically use nuclear weapons to like create some type of like, we need to block. I've seen, well, I will say this. I had definitely seen some, some actual like uh, reports, scientists coming up with a plan saying we got to uh, uh, block out the sun, like the ozone layer is thinning. So what we need to do is block out the sun completely. It's like, uh, uh, okay, I guess we could do that. I guess, I guess that's easier. Did they not see Highlander too? Did they right. not see Highlander too? <laughs> right, didn't, right. He's, he's bad. He's bad. We, we, we could, we could stop uh, corporations from murdering us or we could just block out the sun as a species uh, who is dependent on sunlight and figure out another way to live or we can go to Mars, right? Yeah. Like Men that. will literally block out the sun before going to therapy. That's, <laughs> that's right. Men will literally block out the sun before going to therapy. 
questioning capitalism. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 crazy absurd. Before I don't want to I don't want to uh, stop before I get I kind of go over these. Not I have no answer to this, but I, I, I yeah. Just, sorry, let's get back on topic. And I'm very no. This is all. It's all related, right? Everything's related. So this yeah. is very very useful and to me very very interesting. So thank you. Uh, I, I was I am curious. So like I don't know how to put this, but it occurs to me that there are differences between militias uh, and uh, professional armies. Now, this revolution has no capacity for a professional army. Yeah, let's just, I'm going to say that as a given. People are going to disagree if you want. They don't. Well, well the, the thing is, when you have a professional army, you are literally creating a social strata whose only purpose is to wage war. Um, and that, yeah. that's what you have not only in the United States, you have that not only with our military, but with our police. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, <clears throat> again, I'm, I'm not someone who's all that familiar with the history of socialist revolution. Uh, you know, I'm pretty new to lefty politics. I've only, I would only say I've called myself leftist or revolutionary in any way for the past, like five or six years, six, seven years, something like that. Um, before that I was liberal at best. And Same here. The context is I grew up in South Carolina where liberal was a dirty word because they were the communists. And now I live in places where liberal is a dirty word because they're not communists. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, um, but no, like coming, coming from the background that I come from, what I see here are echoes of Rome. It's the same imperial shit. You know, you've, you're, you're scrambling, trying to hold on to power. So this is what fascism does. You have to find enemies both without and within to fight. And uh, that's where, you know, like your militias, I would say those arise organically from the people. But the moment you have a paid professional army, you now have a, a structure, a class whose only purpose is to wage war. Mm-hmm. Or the people that are in charge of that structure are going to ensure that they have job security. You know, and I say this as a former special forces soldier working for this fucking bloody empire. That's thank you for saying that's exactly what I was wondering about. I wanted what I wanted to wanted to wanted to get to professional armies, you know, wage war for for a living, right? On behalf of mm-hmm. whatever. Well, and even, yeah. even within the United States military, um, the the army itself, you know, in the army, within the army structure, um, you know, there's still the idea that we could have conscripts, you know, we could have a draft, but within special forces. Like part of the special forces soldiers creed, it's I am a professional soldier. And you notice the attitudes in special forces, the the makeup of special forces, you know, like the United States Army has a lot of minorities in it. But in special forces, it's almost entirely white. It's like 95 plus percent. Uh, And historically, up until very recently, it's been all male, all white men. And the attitudes there reflect that the amount of of loathing and just like completely like disrespect for civilians for other members of the army that weren't professional soldiers for women uh it's it's i i can't express it to you without like saying really horrible shit that i don't want to repeat you know but but it's just it's take take every piece of like white masculinity in america that you can think of and condense it and that's special forces. Hmm. So that's that's the problem that you run into with a professional warrior class. It's just like the knights in medieval Europe. Uh, you know, if you have someone that is a professional warrior class, 
I feel like they're going to become parasitic at some level. Like their their job is waging war, and it's in their interest to make sure that there is still war to fight. Thanks for explaining that. That makes a lot of sense because uh, on the on on a practical level, they probably had no other option. They didn't have the resources to create a professional like standing army. But mm-hmm. the same token, maybe then in, in light an understanding of of what you were what you're describing. Maybe that's one of the more, I don't know what word to use, progressive or revolutionary elements of what he's suggesting is, but see, is here's that where it's, we mili- start- it's a people's militia. It's not a professional army. And then, so ironic because we're going to go into later the Soviet Union, which then goes on and obviously creates these, these buffers against the United States and, and becomes an empire. Uh, uh, Russia is not an empire now, I don't think, but unless you want to go back thousands of years or whatever, but, but, but um, but militias are not going to go invade other countries. They might. Yeah, they, they can defend. Right, correct me, please. They can defend, but they can't <laughs> go out and invade other countries. So maybe that's a, like a very revolutionary and progressive thing about this text, what it's calling for. It's not calling for an army to go expand a sphere of influence to become an empire but rather just to def- the people to defend themselves. Is that? Is yeah, but see, that's that's where we start running into the contradictions here because it feels like that just becomes a matter of semantics. Mm. In the United States, we don't call it the Department of War. We call it the Department of Defense. Everything's defensive. Us setting up fucking military bases overseas is defense. You know, us invading other countries is defense. Us waging proxy wars in the global south is defense. No, it's not. You know, it's it's like I run up and punch you in the face because I thought you might eventually think of punching me in the face once. It's not defense, you know. Uh, but but yeah, I, I worry that like when it comes to the sort of semantic arguments, that that's what it turns out to be. Because in an era where every nation has a professional army, a militia that doesn't have that professional soldier class is going to be, for lack of a better word, outclassed by professional soldiers. Mm-hmm. So now you have the necessity for this warrior class. And then that warrior class is inevitably going to do the same shit the warrior class does in any other society and try to maintain their, their hold on power, just like with the bureaucratic class, just like with government classes. So, so this is, this is a case of like, as I read this document, as I look at historical context, I'm trying very hard not to just be completely fucking blackpilled here and go completely cynical but like we see all these, pro- we're, we're able to identify a ton of the problems here, but identifying solutions is where we're, we're struggling. Yeah, no, I, I think I, that's great. Yeah. I think, I think that I, yeah, I think the, the prescriptions uh, specifically about creating like these, um, these single party, single party states are even in theory uh, they're, they, they're, they, I, I'm, I'm dubious of that, right? Like, I think the analysis, I think the Marxist-Leninist analysis of this, you know, where things are, is, is, is wonderful. And I, uh, who can predict the future? So it's not even like I'm trying to condemn them. And I don't think, and I don't, yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely. I don't not think they killed more them. than like the capitalist, you know, single party, you know, corporate duopoly like appearances has done or anything like that. It's not, it's not like that. I don't think, I don't think any, I don't think anything that has been even in name, or is in name socialist or communist now has has approached anywhere near the 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 body count of capitalism even just fucking our deaths because yeah we're when, when they start society, talking about deaths that communism is responsible for they mean all the nazis that communism <laughs> yeah right right everyone right. that ever died of anything under a yeah. regime and it's like well if you want to use those rubrics capitalism has killed far more 
Because oh, absolutely, capitalism I, I, is a death re- that capitalism is responsible for. Oh no, no, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. But I am, yeah, exactly. But I, but I am, I am dubious of that too. And I, and I wonder then, can a state ever be revolutionary? They're maintaining, yes, this is the revolution. The, the revolution continues through this government, and you know, really, that's what. Because I, I, what I'm wondering is, what's the missing? That, piece? Yeah, what, that's, what, that's, turns, that's, what what turns a militia into uh, a, a problematic professional army? State power. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a catch twenty two here because on one hand, like I absolutely agree, we're not going to overthrow the greatest military empires in history without forming our own military empires, right? right. And here we are, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Become the bad guy to beat the bad guy, and how do you maintain yeah. that revolutionary spirit under those circumstances? Yeah, no, that I think I think that's right. Yeah, right. And then of course the mean? liberal argument is that oh well, we can talk things out, but meanwhile we're going to keep letting capitalists bleed us all dry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know that the the imperial wars don't don't count if you can't see them from our house. You know, it, it's it's fucking nimby and. Uh, imperialism absolutely right to the point where most americans i don't even think are aware or i don't think are aware of that like not too long after this we the united states invaded invaded russia we don't know that people don't know that we invaded russia as part of world war one once this once the revolutionary government you know went into place and said yeah you know what this war our involvement in this war world war one was a czarist project he's out so we're not paying the war debts and then the, the you know the UK bankers are like, oh, this is a problem. We got together with the US, and I'm being very reductive here, but I think I'm being true. Said, yeah, we have to punish this government, and I think everything that follows is is that is 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 a yeah, response see, these to are, a government that said we're not paying war debts anymore, and then so then we got to send the soldiers uh, to to you know to back up the bankers. Uh, and this is where my South Carolina part. public school education fails me because I don't remember all these details. Mostly, what I remember is like looking at World War II. And going, okay, so Russia was with the Nazis initially and then against the Nazis. Right. And right. then um, then uh, Stalin was Uncle Joe. And then we were in a Cold War with with communism for, you know, like, I, I full disclosure, I am ancient. I was a child in the 80s going to school doing earthquake drills where we ducked and covered under our desks in South Carolina where there are no earthquakes, you know, so. You know, like this is the backdrop that I'm coming from. So, so yeah, like the thing is, I feel like as, as human beings, as rational beings, we like to be able to categorize things and be like, this is good. And this is evil. This is good. And this is bad. And everything is fucking nuanced. You know, we can acknowledge that Marx might've had some problems around race. Uh, some some spots that he didn't see, we can acknowledge that, you know, like, uh, Jewish people have been under attack everywhere in the world, but also like Israelis in apartheid settler. Israel is an apartheid settler state. Um, you know, like two things can be true, as I've said with many things. You know, like there there are trans women, definitely in a press class, that are fucking Nazis, fascists. You know, and I'm not even talking about Caitlyn Jenner. I'm talking about like Draken Sarah, who was at fucking January sixth. You know, like like everything like in, in these situations like we're in late stage capitalism we're watching the fall of empire in real time things get real fucking complicated real fucking fast <laughs> i don't i don't think we can end on a more uh uh true statement than that so i think we will leave it there we've been discussing i'm elias this is alana mclaughlin we've been discussing uh vladimir Lenin's 
third letter from Letters from Afar concerning a proletarian militia. The context all of is about five minutes before we got sidetracked. Right, no, no, we're, it's all connected. We were in there. We went to the text hard from the get-go, and then we veered off. But we went to the text, right? I always tell my students in, uh, um, in literature uh, classes, go to the text, talk about what you're talking about, go back to the text. I think we did that. Find this yourselves, y'all. You can find this for free. I'll link it up um, on the. Uh, I'll link it up when we uh, right here in the uh, in the post. Uh, share this with friends. This main conversation will be available for everyone. We're gonna have some bonus content for the the patrons. But third letter concerning a proletarian militia. You can find it in places like Marxist.org. Uh, but yeah, you can you can find this. Read it. Let us know what you think. Let us know if there's any things, uh, any parts of the text that we we didn't get to that you think are really really. Uh, interesting or any of our analyses such as it uh, was that you think missed a point and why we'd love to revisit this we want you all to uh to give us your take if you if you sent us uh if you make comments or or, or send us uh, uh emails uh about the text um even completely disagreeing with us that we think are really thoughtful we'll share it on the next uh next podcast and we'll talk about that and We'll cite you. We'd really love to go this again. Uh, we, you know, we weren't talking from a position of expertise here, but just as interested first readers, uh, trying to do our best as a close read and a first take uh, of this stuff. So those of you who are, are more knowledgeable about this context, about Russian Revolution history, about, uh, or, you know, those of you who are Marxist Leninists and, and really up on uh, Leninist theory, want to school us, we'd love to read it and, and present that as well. Anarchists uh, too, too, for that matter. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There was a lot of criticism of this, right? But Bakunin is, you know, before this is like, man, you you all are some naive people to thinking you're gonna you're gonna use the state now in a revolutionary capacity, right? Like anyone, let us know what you're thinking. Like very, very, uh, uh very, very interested in everyone's take on this and bring in other stuff that you want to see us read together as a community. Um, we'd love to do some, um some live streams in the future so where we can bring people in and kind of discuss in, in person. We're just getting started, but we, we are committed to making regular uh, content for you all. Um, really, really so thankful. Uh, Alana, you made time to talk. I hope you can make it a habit. And if I have my way, this will be the Alana and Elias podcast. And, and we will chat regularly and, and, uh, and, and get into it. Um, so um, thank you, everyone. Alana, did you want to uh, share anything and let people know where they can uh, follow you? Uh, yeah, I don't know. If you're interested, just Google Alana McLaughlin or Lady Farrell. I'll come up. Lots of folks love to hate me. And algorithmically generated outrage is the the order of the day. So you'll find me. Well, we we love to, uh, to hear your take and we love to love you. So thank you very much, Alana. Uh, I'm going to stop the recording now, share this with others, bring them to the page, whether they're, they're going to be able to be patrons or not. We're going to have a lot of free content. So just share it. We want to, want to have a space for people to discuss, um, uh, not just theory, but like practical level safety and, and other stuff regarding self-defense, including firearms stuff and not have to wade through the stuff that I've been having to wade through. Uh, I want you to learn how to unload and load a firearm without looking at a fucking blue, thin blue line flag in the background of a YouTube video like I do. And like, all right, like, so I, we want to have a space for that uh, for everyone just to learn. Uh, I'm not an expert, but expert voices are are welcome. 